and welcome to A Mighty Blaze Podcast, part of the Writer's Bone Podcast Network. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett, author of Herrick's End, Herrick's Lie, and the forthcoming Herrick's Key. A Mighty Blaze is your online and audio destination for the very best interviews with blockbuster authors, debut writers, and everyone in between. It's not every day that we're able to welcome an author who's been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize and awarded the National Humanities Medal and a Penn Faulkner Award, among many, many others. Anne Patchett's novels and nonfiction, too numerous to name here, have been beguiling readers for decades, and her latest, Tom Lake, has taken the book world by storm. She's also the owner of Parnassus Books in Nashville, where she works alongside fellow author Lindsay Lynch, whose debut novel, Do Tell, became a USA Today bestseller and an Indie Next pick. Anne and Lindsay joined New York Times bestselling author Jenna Blum to talk about all the ins, outs, and in-betweens of the writing and bookselling life. So settle in and enjoy the conversation as I pass the blaze torch to Jenna and her two very special guests, Anne Patchett and Lindsay Lynch. Hey everybody, welcome to Mighty Blades. I'm Jenna Blum, one of the co-founders of The Blades, and I'm here on this Friday Frontliner with two incredibly special guests, Lindsay Lynch and Anne Patchett. Welcome, Anne and Lindsay. We are so happy to have you. Um, Lindsay, I think you're muted at the moment. We don't want that. We want you to be able to talk and sing and do all the things like all. Perfect. (laughs) Yay. Welcome. So quick commercial for The Blaze. In case you are new here, we are a team of 35 creative professional volunteers dedicated to linking authors and their readers. We started in the age of COVID and obviously we have gone well beyond. If you like what you see here, give us a like or a follow on Facebook, on Twitter, which is what I still insist on calling it. Um, on Instagram, on YouTube. We are ubiquitous. And please consider signing up for our newsletter at www.mightyblaze.com so you never have literary FOMO ever again. No more FOMO. Nobody likes that. Um, And today I am here with one of the literary icons of our time. Sorry, Anne, you know it's true. To talk about her new book, Tom Lake. And to meet Lindsay and talk about her new book, Do Tell. So excited about this. And in case you have been living under rocks and you don't know these two ladies, I'm going to read their bios and then we're all going to have a little chat. So are you guys ready for your official bios? Yep. Ready. Okay. Buckle up. It's you. (laughs) Okay. Anne Patchett is the author of, I love this from your bio, Anne, novels, works of nonfiction and children's books. So the novels include Patron Saint of Liars, which is one of my favorite books of all time, Bel Canto, Commonwealth. Dutch House, and now her newest book, Tom Lake, which we're going to be discussing today. Her nonfiction includes Truth and Beauty, What Now? This is the Story of a Happy Marriage in These Precious Days. Her children's books are Lambslide and Scapegoat. Anne has been the recipient of numerous awards, including the Penn Faulkner, the Women's Prize for Fiction in the UK, the Book Sense Book of the Year, the Dutch House was a Pulitzer finalist, Her work has been translated into more than 30 languages, and Time Magazine named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world. (laughs) 
President Biden awarded her the National Humanities Medal in recognition of her contributions to American culture. And I could just spend this whole interview talking about hanging out with Uncle Joe, like, honestly, like, I just want to know some of those stories. He called me kiddo. He called me kiddo. I know. Okay. We're at the price of admission already. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Anne lives in Nashville with her husband, where she is the owner of the beloved Parnassus Books. Thank you for being here, Anne. Thank you. And thank you for introducing us to Lindsay. Lindsay Lynch, it's your turn. Is a writer from Washington, D.C., a longtime indie bookseller. We love you guys here on Blaze. She currently lives as well in Nashville, where she works as a book buyer for Parnassus. Her work has appeared in the Adroit Journal, The Bumpus, Electric Lit, The Atlantic, The Offing, and Lit Hub, among other places. She has been a participant at Tin House, Summer Workshop, and the Napa Valley Writers Conference. She holds an MFA in fiction from the University of Wyoming, and do tell is her debut novel. It is already a USA bestseller, USA Today, sorry, bestseller, Indie Next Pick, and a Hoda and Jenna featured title. And I should say, Anne, your um, Tom Leake is a Reese pick as well. Yes. Okay. Thank Nobody, you, Reese. Right? Nobody yeah. here is surprised. Thank you, Reese. So, so great. Okay. So um, I would like to start by asking the question. I have been getting from literally everybody I know, which is how do I become friends with Ann Patchett? Like, I would love for you guys to talk a little bit about your friendship. Like literally my friend Hillary said like, I want to be Ann's friend. How do I get to be Ann's friend? And now she's going to kill me for saying that. But if you could talk about how you guys know each other and, and what your relationship is, that would be great. So we work together. And um, Lindsay came to Parnassus after she graduated from Kenyon College. Got a oh really Kenyon love. Yes, you got a moment of recognition there. Oh wow! I'm also Kenyan. I'm not telling you what oh, you're. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, incredible. Um, yeah, so Lindsay, we hired her part-time seasonal help. You're looking at it um, <laughs> a really long time ago, ten years ago, and she kind of moved her way up and then she moved her way out. She went off to graduate school and moved back to DC. And then um, we had an opening for a book buyer. And I said, let's get in touch with our three favorite employees who moved away and see if any of them want to come back. One said, no one said, maybe Lindsay said yes. Yeah. And she was back like a week yeah. later. And Easiest decision of my life. <laughs> And the happiest, happiest ask of mine, you know, it just, it just turned out so well. So we are, you know, bookstore Parnassus colleagues, and we are author colleagues, because especially now our two books came out two weeks apart. We've been on tour together, doing interviews together, and we're just friends, man. We've spent a lot of time together. We have many of the same weird eating habits. <laughs> it's made us fun things you learn on book tour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I need to ask about something. that. Yeah. I need to ask about the weird eating habits now, of course, but maybe I'll just sit on that for a minute. What is the weirdest eating habit that you guys discovered you had on tour? Well, I explained girl dinner to Anne. Oh, yes. And we realize we both have an affinity that, you know, sometimes you've just done an event. It's over at like 830. Are you going to eat a full meal? No, you're going to go to the nearest grocery store and just buy weird assorted snacks. Right, right. And but we fortunately, we eat the same weird assorted snacks. 
because we're both vegetarians. Uh, we both err on the side of healthy food. And, and I would say, Lindsay, this is true, that neither one of us actually cares about food. Yeah, this might. Okay, so my sun sign is Taurus, and I think this disqualifies me as a Taurus because I don't care that much. And like that's like the whole thing about that sign is that we're supposed to be like foodies. So um, don't tell the Taurus community that I, I don't care that much. Interesting. And yeah, no, I mean, it's like, give me a power bar. Let me just go to bed. Uh, and And so this is very companionable because if you're on tour with somebody who's like no i want a great meal <laughs> when you just want to go to bed yeah yeah i love this i actually when i am on tour i go to my room i never eat with anybody before or after the hosts are always so gracious they're like let's have dinner i'm like let's not actually do that and i go and i order a Hell giant yeah. cheeseburger that i eat in my spanx watching tv it is like the happiest moment a book tour besides meeting all the readers. Lindsay, what is your impression of this of this side of the journey where you, I mean, Kenyan graduates work in bookstores. That's what we do. I worked in yeah. a bookstore before they went out of business. So it's like, tell us what this has been like for you. Very surreal, especially having worked at bookstores for so long. I think the, the weirdest part was, so one of my parts of my job is when we have authors who come in and sign like a thousand something books, which is usually like every other month. Um, I'm the person who just kind of sits there and like shuffles the books for them. So when it was my turn to sign a thousand something books, I was, it was so bizarre. I was like, I'm not being helpful enough. I'm just signing <laughs> the books. Can I shuffle them for you? Like, let me do more. Um, so I think it's just having worked ev like literally every angle of this process to now mm -hmm. finally being literally on the other side of the table in terms of the signing is just really mm -hmm. special but also a little bizarre and surreal. Yes, I understand that. It's the same. I also, as an English grad from Kenyan, worked a lot in waitressing, and I still, like, clear people's tables mm -hmm. when I'm in restaurants. Like, I can take that out of the way for you. Like, that's no problem. Yeah, and do you have the thing where if you go to a restaurant and there's a help wanted sign, there's just part of my brain that's always thinking, I maybe I should just pick up a couple of shifts. Just, you know, <laughs> not a, I'm not full-time or anything, but just, like, one or two shifts, you know, right. a week. And it seems much easier than what I'm actually doing, which is writing. I think like the idea of lining up all those plates on my arm seems like a really appealing. Okay, but let me tell you, you're wrong. That's just proof you haven't been a waitress in a while because waiting tables is so much harder than writing. Mm, I mean, well, I was like 21 last time I did it. So perhaps I have moved on a little bit physiologically. That is true. Yeah. So would you tell us, I know this is a question you've been fielding a lot in your sort of like... Tom Lake do tell um, like vaudeville tour in a sense. I wish there would, would be vaudeville, but can you tell us about <laughs> each other's books? I always ask authors to introduce the books in their own words. And so I'm wondering if you could describe each other's books so the audience knows what to expect when they open the covers. You want me to go first or do you want to go first? Go for it. All right. So, uh, Lindsay and I often, when we're out on the road together, refer to Dew Lake or Tom Tell. We, we really get our titles confused a lot because we are so intermingled. But Do Tell is the story of Edie O'Dare, formerly Edie O'Shaughnessy, who wins a contest, goes from Massachusetts to Hollywood when she is 18. Is that right? Is she 18? She's 18 or 19. 
Um, and she gets the the tour of a lifetime, getting to see Hollywood, and she tries out and she gets a contract to be a minor second string character actress. It's a seven year contract. She's coming to the end of her contract when our story begins and she knows that she is not up for renewal. This is like 1935. And she makes extra money by selling secrets of the other actors that she overhears at parties to gossip columnists. And this is the story of Edie's transition from being a second string actress to being a full-fledged gossip columnist. There is a famous trial she gets in the middle of, both because she was there for the crime and because she is covering it as a gossip columnist. It strains her sense of what's right and wrong. It's Edie is such a fascinating, morally ambiguous character. And that's what I love about this book is she is neither the hero nor the anti-hero. She is really a real person who's struggling and she's trying to make it in the world. And I will also say the book is entertaining. It's beautifully written and it has one of the best endings ever. I give people who can do a fabulous ending so much credit because Jenna, so often we read books and we think they're really good and we get to the end and I'm like, oh my God, you didn't even try to end it. You just you just put your hands down and let it all fall on the floor. This book has a gorgeous narrative arc and it's important to support first time debut novelists, especially this one. Okay. Thank you. I don't think we've ever discussed, I wrote the beginning and the ending at the same time. And I don't think we've ever oh, talked really? about that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's such a good ending. It's, it's fabulous. Thank you. Um, I get to talk about Tom Lake, which is a Reese pick, a number one New York Times pick. Take that dragon book. <laughs> I had to do it. I, I the dragon book makes Parnassus a lot of money. I appreciate it, but you, we, we love to see Tom Lake at number one. Just fully biased. <laughs> um, Tom Lake draws heavily from Our Town by Thornton Wilder. Uh, you can read it without having read Our Town, but you're going to want to read it with Our Town. Um, it follows a woman named Laura who is at home with her daughters for the summer during the pandemic. Um, her daughters know a couple tidbits about her past, most specifically that she had a summer fling with a now very, very famous actor, Peter Duke. And there's an interesting divide between the story and the mythology that her daughters have concocted about this summer and the reality of it. So this is the story both of Laura spending this time with her daughters telling stories, but also her recalling the summer. And we something I love about this book is that we get to both see what Laura tells her daughters, but also, also what she withholds from them and only tells us as the readers. So it's a great novel about young love, the problematic people you fall in love with in your 20s because they're hot and dangerous and a little hot headed. Um, and then the decisions that you make later in your life because Laura, starts off as an actress, she chooses not to become an actress, similar to Edie, um, but she wants mm -hmm. to have a life on a farm. And it's just a beautiful novel about memory, about love, about our 20s, about mothers and daughters. It's about everything. It's an Ann Patchett novel. It's perfect. <laughs> right. I totally agree with that. 
And I have so many questions about this. I'm aware, and by the way, audience, we have these ladies for not as long as we usually do today because they're both busy and they're on tour. So I'm going to do something sort of unusual, which is not talk as much and let you guys ask questions. But I do have a couple of questions I totally need to ask. And one of them is, you're both writing about acting. Um, and so these novels complement each other, like Traverse City cherries and chocolate, like Michigan. <laughs> Just there, I know all about the cherries. Like I populated that whole state with cherries spitting pits out my car window. <laughs> so um, tell me about the acting thing. Because in Tom Lake, you know, that Lara, who I now call Lara because they removed the U from her name in Hollywood, they dissected it out. She's very happy not being an actor and in fact thinks it's like the best thing in her life that she didn't become one. And Edie likewise has a totally different career trajectory. But did either of you actually want to be an actor at some point? Not only did I not want to be an actor at some point, I didn't want to be a cherry farmer or a mother either. So it's no, I just write about things that are interesting and work with the story, but not things that I know anything about. Mm -hmm. I also did not want to be an actor. I went to a high school that was very well known for their theater program. Um, and the minute I arrived there, like I had a passing interest in like Shakespeare, but was nowhere near the level of like, these were kids who had been trained from a young age to be performers. Like they could sing, they could dance, they could do everything. And I was like, oh, you have to know how to do all that? God, no. <laughs> um, so I was immediately intimidated by them. So I've spent a lot of time around theater kids, um, but with a safe distance because they do scare me a bit. Yeah, well, the theater kids are a little scary. It's true. So yeah, way too much work, like being a waitress. We might as well all be writers instead. But right. I think one of the reasons I love talking to writers is that everybody's the process shares a little bit and is also a little bit different. And both of you are writing about things that you don't actually want to armchair live. Whereas when I write a novel, it's because I wanted to be a chef or I wanted to be a meteorologist or I wanted to be a whatever. So I'm going to ask each of you and you can decide who answers first. Like what is the Genesis story for each of your novels? Like what was the key to get in? You go. Mm -hmm. So while I am terrified of the theater kids and actors, I'm still fascinated by them, obviously. Um, I think what I'm most interested in though is like not writing directly about like the big famous actor, but about the people who are tasked with wrangling the big famous actor mm -hmm. or actress. I'm really interested in the orchestration around very, very public figures and especially writing, the book is set during golden age Hollywood. So you're dealing with the studio system, which is a whole different, the studio system today is still bad, but it was a whole different creature in the 40s because they were uncontested monopolies. They had so much control over the stars' lives. They had narrative control over what the public knew. So I think the genesis for this book was really being interested in finding that gap between the public persona and the private persona of these stars and who's pulling the strings, who's making the calls, and where do you find that very strange gray moral area where the public and the private begin to blur. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hello, Writerish Podcast listener. I'm Daniel Ford, co-host of the Writer's Bone Podcast and founder of the Writer's Bone Podcast Network. At least one person that I know of has called me the Norman Lear of podcasting, but I'm here to talk about our flagship, Writer's Bone. We're a literary podcast that believes in the power of the written word. 
My co-host, Stephanie Ford, and our Friday morning coffee host, Caitlin Malkwee, believe that storytelling can excite us, educate us, and at its best, unite us. Our mission is to promote authors of all backgrounds, races, creeds, and experiences. Since 2014, we've had the privilege of talking to bestsellers, debut authors, screenwriters, actors and actresses, and so many others that embrace creative endeavors. We hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, because we have no intention of stopping anytime soon. And our simplest, perhaps our best advice, keep writing, everyone. No, and for me, um, I just really wanted to write a book about our town. Uh, our town has just been so important in my life. Uh, and it's it's probably the piece of literature I have reread the most often. And I wanted to write a book about a woman who had played Emily in our town when she was in high school and how that experience set her life in motion. So that's that's the origin story. That's where I first started thinking about this book. I'm really glad you said that because I was kind of guessing that. I like to guess the author origin story. I'm almost yeah. always wrong. But I wanted to read, if you don't mind, and the author's note at the end of your book, which is not a spoiler for anybody, oh, but no. I find it very moving and also very intriguing. I thank Thornton Wilder, who wrote the play that has been an enduring comfort, guide, and inspiration throughout my life. If this novel has a goal, it is to turn the reader back to our town and to all of Wilder's work. Therein lies joy and for your readers who like me have last seen our town like on a at a theater stage you know like 20 years ago or more can you re-educate us about the joy of Thornton Wilder and why why the love for Wilder's work sure um well first I want to say it's a play it'll take you an hour and a half to read tops, maybe less than that. And you can also go on YouTube and watch Paul Newman, uh, do, you know, the filmed Broadway performance of Our Town. So it's not like you're reading Demon Copperhead and think, mm, should I read David Copperfield? It's only 700 pages. Like this is just going to take you a hot minute and it will do nothing but improve the quality of your life. Our Town is a play in three acts. The first act is about the town and it establishes the two families, the Gibbs and the Webbses who live next door to each other, George from one family, Emily from the other. In the second act, they fall in love and get married. And then in the third act, Emily dies, not a spoiler, or if it is a spoiler, you should know it already. Mm -hmm. uh, and she has the chance to go back and say goodbye to her life and say goodbye to the world. The play is really about nothing. The play is about the small, ordinary moments of life and how that is, in fact, all we have in life. Um, it's it, and I read it again and again because I feel like it just sort of whacks me back into an awareness that life is beautiful and short and we ought not wish it away. I love this. I'm looking through my notes because there was a question that I wanted to ask about that. It, it, Reminds me of a similarity that your book, I think, shares with Our Town, and it's one of the re reasons that readers are so worshipful of you. Like, I've been thinking about this. Like, I've been your reader since I discovered Patron Saint, and then, of course, every Ann Patchett book that comes out, it's like 
an explosion of puppies is born or something. Like everybody's like, oh, this is so great. Like our lives are gonna be so much better now. And that's true. And I was like, but why is that exactly? You know, it behooves me to think analytically. And I think your work is elegant. It's funny. Um, it has sort of what seems to be effortless wisdom to it. But I also thought with this book that it was very reassuring. And in your description of our town, I feel like there is a certain comfort there. And there was a line I plucked out from the book that I loved a lot, which was um, on page 253, for those of you following along at home, the past need not be so all-encompassing that it renders us incapable of making egg salad. And I was like, that's such a, that seems to be such an Ann Patchett line, but it is about like the beauty of those little ordinary moments. And then yet on the same page, you give us this TKO of the beauty and the suffering are equally true. And I'm like, this is why this is sort of like unmatchable fiction, because you give us the thing that makes the lives accessible and then the thing that is profound. Do you agree with this? Why are we not? <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do agree with it. And I think that it comes from this present moment in the world where everybody's like suffering, suffering, horrible things, so many horrible things. And we perseverate on the horrible things and the horrible things are true, but also the beauty is true and the love is true. And, you know, you can't just close off everything and, and say, this is the worst moment in human history. I finished today reading Drew Gilpin Faust's book called Necessary Trouble. And she was the president of Harvard for a long time. And it's it's the subtitle is Growing Up Mid-Century. So she's kind of going from her father who was in World War II and she goes through Vietnam and it talks a lot about civil rights. And just such a reminder of the horrific things that were going on for women in the 50s and the 60s. And I came out of that book thinking, we think this is the worst time in human history. It's really not. Mm -hmm. We probably all do. Um, hi, Lori. We have lots of authors joining us today and lots of wonderful readers who are um, Blaze aficionados and author aficionados. Obviously, hello, everybody. I think um, what that brought to mind for me also was a question that my friend Mark Cecil always asks on our show, The Thoughtful Bro. His dismount question, talking about good endings, is always, what emotion do you want to inspire in your readers? Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering about that for both of you. With both Tom Lake and Do Tell, what do you hope your reader feels while they're reading and then when they have put the book down? Oh, Lindsay, I want to hear you talk about that because I love your ending so much. <laughs> I think I always love an ending that takes an image or something from the beginning and flips it around and kind of like in a kaleidoscopic way, like the notes are still there, but they're all reconfigured. Um, so I think that's what I wanted from my ending. But I also wanted to, you know, it's funny, my writing partner is um, Jenny Tingwei Zhang, who wrote a beautiful novel, Four Treasures of the Sky. And I always think of her as like the sunshine to my grumpy. And her novel ended up with like the saddest ending I've ever read. And I ended ever. It's devastating. It's so good, but it's devastating. You'll cry. Um, so when we were sharing like our chapters, I was so shocked that I ended up with like the very, very sweet, happy ending because it, it ends surprisingly very happy um, because I have two characters who fall in love and I won't spoil who they are, but I needed them to have a happy ending. Yeah. And you know, that actually goes back to what we were talking about just now about the suffering and the joy. 
And so, you know, there's a lot of, because you're, you're writing a book about a gossip columnist, there is a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of undercutting and suspicion and distrust. And yet you choose to end the book, I mean, not just with love, but in an incredibly moving and completely earned love that we didn't see, we just did, I didn't see that ending coming. And it was so real and true. And that's what makes it a great ending is that, is that it's built throughout the story. Everything is there. But you have to have those things in balance. It can't just be suffering, no matter how great the writing is. Agree. Maybe that's what I was trying to put a finger on in my fumbling around for the beloved nature of the books is readers feel, I think, hopeful. They feel like the books are realistic, your books, Anne, are realistic, and yet and they're hopeful. And Lindsay, your book is also so much fun. It was kind of like Harriet the Spy had a baby with Hollywood. <laughs> hey, there's your elevator pitch. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, this is like, it's my specialty is like weird elevator pitch words. So <laughs> love you're <that>. welcome. <laughs> so funny. What was the last book you both read that gave you a book hangover? You know, that's sort of like there's that chord reverberation wow. in the air and you feel sort of an emotional hangover for a couple of days and like kind of tender and hard to go on to a new book. I got one. Um, I think mine might be In Memoriam by Alice Wynn, which just won the Waterstones debut novel of the year award. It's stunning. It's World War One. And it follows two young boys who they fell in love at boarding school, but they don't know they really fell in love because it's 1917 or 18. Um, and they're not quite sure what's happening. And yeah, it's one of those novels that like, there's a lot, like we're talking about, there's a lot of devastation, but it has a really beautiful ending. And it just stuck with me. If I think about it all the time still. Um, and the two that I'm thinking about, neither one of them are out yet, but you'll just have to live with that. So. <laughs> Um, Alice McDermott, I'll pick that one because it's the closest, has a book coming out in November called Absolution. That's just the best thing I've read in years. And I've read all of her books. I love her. And this book is an order of magnitude above anything that she's done. In the same way, I felt that way about Demon Copperhead for Barbara Kingsolver. It's like, oh, you're great. Oh, my God. This is something else entirely. I felt that way about The Night Watchman with Louise Erdrich. And this is a book about a young couple who are in Saigon in 1963, just before the dawn of the Vietnam War and the whole social scene and the desire to do good. These two women become friends while their husbands are off at work. The desire to be helpful and to do good and how a lot of times we just don't have a clue what we're doing. And I, and, and I didn't want to do anything but lie on the floor and stare at the ceiling when I finished that book. It's so, so beautiful. That's, that's a very high recommendation that authors should have that tattooed. <laughs> as, as Actually, I blurbed the book and I called it a moral masterpiece. Ooh, and that's yes. what it is. That would be the tattoo. I would probably yeah. get that as like my, my tramp stamp tattoo forever and ever. It's moral masterpiece. You know, I don't think you can have a tramp stamp that says moral masterpiece. <laughs> you could, but nobody would ever see it. I mean, <laughs> character is what you do when nobody can see your tramp stamp is what I always say. <laughs> so 
I think um, as much as I would like to have you both to myself for a, a while longer, I know our audience has questions, so I'm going to be unselfish and allow some of those to be put up on the screen. So if our producers could pop mm. one up, that'd be great. Okay. Currently listening to the audiobook of Tom Lake, gorgeously read by the Street. How did she end up narrating? Great question, Andrea. I asked her. There you go. So 15 years ago, I met Meryl Streep. We had lunch. Um, it was, there was a tiny moment in time where it looked like she might play Roxanne Koss in the movie of Bel Canto. And when I finished Tom Lake, I really hoped that she might consider doing the audiobook. And because Tom Hanks did the audiobook for the Dutch House, I felt very emboldened to ask. And so I asked, I gave her a tiny description of the book and she was like, oh God, that's great. Yeah, I'll do it. And I said, don't you want to read the book first? And she was like, no, no, I, you know, it'll be great. And we scheduled it and truly it makes me so happy when people say I'm listening to the audiobook, especially if they bought it on Libro FM. <laughs> Thank you for saying that we love Bookshop here and we love Libro FM. And obviously, you guys, if you have not yet bought several copies of Tom Lake and Tutel, you should buy it at Parnassus. Obviously. <laughs> and we'll sign it. We'll sign it for you if you buy it from Parnassus. All right. You just got all of your holiday gifts for the next several years. So, yes, you guys heard it here first. Buy the books at Parnassus. Do we have more questions? Of course, we have more questions. Oh, my God. What was the most challenging thing for each of you in the writing? And have your challenges changed as your experience has grown? That is, those are two very good questions. So maybe, Anne, if you want to field that first, and then both of you can talk about the challenging thing. Um, in the writing of this, I'll tell you what, the writing of this book was pretty straightforward. Um, the Dutch house just broke me and was really, really hard. These precious days was so smooth and straightforward. And this one was too. And that's not because I'm that good. It's because I think about things for a really long time. So I had the whole book mapped out in my head. I had gone through a million changes in my mind. But when I finally started to write this book, it was good. It was fun. Sorry. No bad stories. Lindsay? <laughs> a different story. <laughs> Being a debut novelist is hard. It's rough out there. Um, I think for me, the hardest part was definitely I had written a version of this book in 2019 that came very, very close to getting an agent, which is, you know, the first step if you want to be published. Um, but I ended up with a lot of really nice rejections, which led to me doing pretty much a top to bottom rewrite of the novel in 2020, like right in the thick of the beginning of the pandemic. And it was it was a really difficult and lonely experience on the one hand, like it gave me something to work for during the pandemic and kind of curbed some of that isolation, but it also was, you know, a really terrifying experience to be like, am I gonna really rewrite this entire novel knowing that like I still might not get representation, it still might not be published, it still might go into a drawer. Um, it was a scary thing to undertake on, I mean, I have a great community of writers, but you know, mostly on my own, it's, it's a scary thing to do. Yeah, but that's what you gotta do. I mean, it's like, when Lindsay and I were on stage in Atlanta, I think it was, and that woman said, 
you know, what if this doesn't work out? What if nobody reads it? Nobody, what if, what if nobody wants it? And I was like, that's just not your problem. You've got to do it because you don't have a choice because you love it because this is your heart. Um, and Liz Gilbert mm -hmm. says the only part of the process you can control is, is making the art. You can't control how the art's received and how it's received includes whether or not you get an agent or, you know, you do it because this is what you were put on earth to do. Mm -hmm. And and you did, and you and you're great. I'm glad I did, but it, it was glad scary for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you both said that because I well remember the days when I was like, "Am I writing this for nothing?" And I still have those days too. And and I have abandoned more books than I have finished. Um, and and I remember when I was a waitress thinking. You know, if I'm going to be a waitress, if I'm a waitress for the rest of my life and I go home and I write at night and nobody reads it, is that enough? And the answer mm -hmm. is yes. Mm -hmm. That's how you know you're a writer. That's when what you I want do. Who writes at night. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. If that is enough, that is so great. I think we have time for one more question and then we have to let you go. So, um, okay. I'll be a Parnassus on one slash two for my friend's book oh, launch. Which is number one. Obviously, the number one thing to do in Nashville is go to Parnassus. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I'm a big fan of going to the Parthenon and seeing the statue of Athena. It's the weirdest, most Nashville thing you can do. It'll take you four minutes. It's seven bucks. It'll change your life. Mm -hmm. Lindsay? Um, man, if you want the downtown experience, don't get out of your, just drive down Broadway. Don't get out of your car though. Don't get, don't out, get of out of your car. It's a Petri dish down there. Just roll down the windows, listen to the music. Don't get out of your car. That's a very good advice. And go during daylight hours and try not to run over a bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> or cry if you're feeling anti-bridesmaid. <laughs> So I'm going to finish with my own question, if that is all right, which yeah. is, um, and it uses another line from Tom Lake. I dog ear all my books. I underline the lines that I love. One of my favorite lines belongs to Duke. And it says, somebody told me years ago, this is the actor in the book, the very famous actor. Somebody told me years ago, I should always have a place in my mind where I could imagine myself happy so that when I wasn't so happy, I could go there. And I thought that was really good advice. Where is the place that you each go when you want to be happy. Right here. You're looking at it right here. Which is home for you. Home, home, home. Yeah, I have a number of art books that live by my writing desk. So if I really, really need to be happy, I just pick one at random, open it up and, or I'll grab a poetry book or both. Crazy. A book is the best place to go, obviously. And why I wasn't thinking of that. And home is also a great place to go. You guys, I have to let you go because it's 4.30 and I know you have to get on the road. Um, I do. For making Blaze a really, really happy place today for so many people who've been watching this and just wanted the chance to lay eyes on you both. And guys, again, if you haven't bought like 50 copies of Tom Lake and Do Tell, you can buy them from Parnassus and you can get them signed so you should signed. do that like instantly yeah thank you so much jenna this thank was you. really fun you're good at your job thank you <laughs> thank you because it's a pleasure thank you so much you guys bye everybody see you next time on the blaze bye, bye. bye. thank you for joining us 
I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. My adventure fantasy novels, Herrick's End and Herrick's Lie, books one and two of the Neath Trilogy, are available now if you want to check them out. Tune in next time for Season 9, Episode 12, featuring Celeste Ng. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning.